Yeah, it wouldn't be right if I didn't do a 4th of July episode. It's always a weird feeling when 4th of July falls on a Monday. I guess it always does. I guess federal holidays, they always give you the Monday off. But 4th of July on a Monday is strange because it's like... You know, Sundays, as I think I said in the very first Every Night to School night, you know, Sundays always give me a sense of dread. Doesn't matter what I have to do the next day, whether I have have to do something or not. You know, without fail, like whether I've been on vacation or anything else, there's always something about Sunday. But when you have Monday off, when there's a federal holiday, I do love Sundays. It it completely changes Sunday. But what's weird about the Fourth of July is you know it's a party holiday. I don't do anything anymore for the Fourth of July. I, I like to take a walk, which I do anyway. But uh. It's always weird because it's this big party day, but then, like, life is supposed to resume back to normal the next day. You'd think that Independence Day, you know, you'd think that the most important holiday, the day when we separated ourselves from the Redcoats, you'd think that that would be, like, a four-day weekend. You'd think that they would put a, you know, a holiday block in there, give you two days off, but they don't. Yeah, it's funny too because you know this is the lightest time of the year it's like not a little after nine and it won't be dark for about an hour if that you know i mean it might you know it doesn't start to get dark until like 10 now but it's always funny because you know fireworks are best at night obviously but about an hour before it gets dark you start to hear them going off and it's funny because you can tell people are antsy they've just been waiting and they can't wait any longer. You know, you think you think that they would be able to wait and be like, okay, let, let's actually wait until it gets dark so we can fully enjoy these. But of course, people are drunk. People have been drinking, so it's like by nine o'clock, they're just like, oh, you know, let's just start lighting them off. Let's just start lighting them off. But I, I anyway, I, I had a friend staying the last seven days. The longest I've spent continuously with another person since my mom died, always weird. You know, I'm a loner. I'm, you know, I'm a loner by nature. But especially the last two and a half years, I've been the most isolated I've ever been. And I really don't spend time with anybody in Olympia here anymore. One friend, a very good friend of mine I see. But that friend's in the process of moving two hours away, so... It's kind of weird. It's kind of emotional where I'm like, oh, shit. Like, not only am I going to miss my friend, my the one friend that I've really spent a lot of time with the last couple of years, but I'm like, shit, like, I'm going to be pretty alone. Not that I don't know people, but it's been a weird fucking time, let me tell you that. But, but anyway, like, you know, spending a week, a solid week, pretty continuously with another person, it's crazy, you know? It's just crazy because it's like it, it puts you in a whole other mindset. You know, where you really, you know, it's like that mycelium effect. Where you really, like, absorb what other people feel. You absorb other people's moods. And, uh, you know, I'm into equanimity. You know, call it stoicism, equanimity, neutrality. I'm very good at not mentally absorbing other people's emotions. But you do physically feel it. It's an interesting thing. Where even if you're feeling equanimous, however you say that, equanimous, equanimous, you know, even if you're feeling that way mentally, you do still feel a physical sensation. And a lot of it's in your stomach, interestingly. So that's just, it's that sort of mycelium effect. Where it's like, we are all psychically connected to each other in ways that we don't even recognize. The people at the store, you're psychically connected to them. The things they're doing, the things they're saying, how they come across impacts you. But when you're in you know, a house with somebody, you really feel it, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's it just, uh, I don't know, you know, it's... You know, I'm feeling very emotional, actually. <laughs> Dear diary, 
Dear Diary, I'm feeling very emotional, but no, it's like I can feel the, uh, it's like I feel like crying or something. And I'm not afraid to cry on here, but it's like I feel like crying, but I can't physically do it. It's just this sort of like emotional anxiety or something. Emotional anxiety. Sounds great. Sounds really cool. Emotional anxiety. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, what was I going to say here? I got a call earlier this week. Really fucking weird. It was a, I missed the call. It was a, it was a phone call from a local number. And my phone doesn't have a local area code. I've still got the area code from Seattle where I grew up and down here has a different area code. But somebody from an Olympia area code called me earlier in the week. I didn't answer it. They left a message. I listened to the message and it was a guy's voice that I didn't recognize saying, fuck you. I was taken aback because it didn't sound like any of my friends. Because I have a couple friends where if they call me and they're drunk or whatever's going on, they'll just jokingly talk shit or say something. But this was a voice I did not recognize from a local number. And the friends I have who would call me and say something like that don't have, they're not from Olympia or they don't have local numbers here. So I was like, what? So I immediately called it back and this guy answered. And it turns out this was a guy that I used to buy weed from. And, and, and just a few times, I, I bought weed from this guy right before it became legal. Weed became legal in, I think it was 2012. And I, I think I bought weed from this guy in 2011. So it's been like 11 years, close to 11 years since I had bought weed from this guy. And he was a big seller. You know, at that point, it was still illegal. It was, me, you know, medic, medical marijuana was legal. And he was pretty big time. Like, he sold pounds to dispensaries. And I worked with this guy who was a hippie. And uh, found out that he sold weed. So I bought weed from him one time. And then he stopped. And then he was like, oh, I got a friend I can refer you to. So he referred me to this guy. And, you know, this guy sells pounds. So he's not looking to sell. He's not going to sell you an eighth. But I was like, okay, I'll, I'll buy by the ounce. At that point, I was still smoking a lot. I was like, I was buy ounces from this guy. So a few times, just a few times, I went over to his place and bought ounces. And uh, he was a cool guy, kind of a, a little bit of a hippie, too. And actually, the first time I ever dabbed, the first time I ever, I ever even heard of dabbing was at this guy's house. I was buying weed from him, and he was like, you want to do a dab? And I was like, what is it? What is a dab? And he gets out like a butane blowtorch, and I'm just like, what the fuck are we going to do? And he had some weird device. You put a little bit of, of this like dried oil. I think they call it a shard. But you put a little bit of, you put a shard on the end of this metal thing sticking off of a weird pipe-like contraction. It didn't look like a bong, but I mean, people know what dab rigs look like now, but it was a dab rig. A dab rig. And I was like, this, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh yeah, this is what they talk about. Like, when I was growing up and old dudes would be like, weed's different now. The kids are doing different stuff now. You know, when I was growing up, you'd hear old dudes say like, the weed has changed and things like that. That was my moment with this, where I was like, this is what the kids are doing now. Nobody, had, I don't know if dabs were around when I was uh, in high school. But I can certainly tell you I, I had never heard of it. And so this is one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is what kids are doing now. And so it was the first time I ever dabbed, and I got so insanely high. And I was buying two ounces from this guy. Most weed I've ever bought. I mean, I, back when I smoked a ton, like, I, I didn't usually buy by the ounce. But I, I bought two ounces from this guy. One of them was for somebody else. And, uh, like, I left this guy's house, like, high out of my mind, like... I've only dabbed like two or three times in my life, probably three times. And each time I've done it, I felt like it's the first time I've been high all over again. You know, I'm like, and it's not a tolerance thing. Because yeah, sometimes even now, like if my tolerance is really low, which it, it is, I mean, I don't, even when I'm smoking weed, I don't smoke enough to build up a high tolerance. 
And like, there's always that moment when your tolerance is really low where you're like, oh shit, I'm really high. I don't know if I can handle this. This is different from that. This is the feeling of being stoned for the first time all over again. And you're just like, what the fuck? And so that's how I felt leaving this guy's house. And he lived in this suburban neighborhood. It was like a family neighborhood. And I was leaving this guy's neighborhood and I, I just had two ounces of weed. And keep in mind, it was illegal then. I just had both ounces of weed like sitting openly on my passenger seat. I'm lost in this tiny neighborhood. It's like this tiny subdevelopment with family homes. And I'm just like, I, I was like, shit, what the fuck am I doing? But anyway, this guy called me. I hadn't talked to this guy since then because weed became legal and I didn't have a reason to buy from this guy anymore t over 10 years ago. I ran into him once or twice. I saw him around town, just said hi. Not a friend of mine. I, I didn't have any problem with him. But So anyway, th this guy left this message on my answering machine that said, fuck you. And I called him back, and he didn't know who I was. Like, he didn't know who he was calling. And, and he starts out where he's like, oh, he's like, I, I'm, going, I'm, I'm going through hard times right now. And he started explaining how... He has a job, he has a good job, but he's living in a tent in Pennsylvania, it turns out. Because initially I was like, oh, is this guy asking for a place to stay? I didn't understand like why he was launching into this thing about how he's living in a tent. And it's, it's weird that he has a good job, but he's living in a tent. But then he started like talking about money and he's like, he's like, but I'm just, he, he says, I'm just trying to cover all my bases. And he brings up this guy that I worked with, the, the same guy who referred me to him back in the day, my coworker. And he brings up that guy's name. And he says, like, I, around the time, like, Trump got elected, that guy, because that guy moved to another state. And he's like, that guy and his friend bought $3,000 worth of weed from me and didn't pay. So I guess this guy was... Because the thing about this guy is, like, when weed became legal, he must have gotten screwed. Because, you know, he's selling it illegally, and he didn't get into the legitimate business. So he suddenly lost probably most of his income. But it sounds like after my coworker moved to another state, he was shipping weed to him there. But he's like, yeah, they bought... He, he and his friend bought $3,000 worth of weed from me, and then never paid me. And this is 2016. This is, he says, when Trump got elected. When Trumpsfeld got elected. And so, like, this guy's trying to collect a debt from six years ago, almost six years ago. And he thinks I'm somebody else. Like, he thinks that I'm his friend. He thinks that I'm the friend that the co-worker was buying all the weed with. And he doesn't even think that I'm in Washington State. He thinks that I'm in the same state as that guy. And I'm like, that's not me. I was like, oh, I was like, I bought weed from you ten years ago a couple times, a few times through that guy but I was like I don't even I barely even know him you know this co-worker of mine he wasn't my friend he was one of those really unethical hippies my co-worker he was, he was one of those really unethical hippies which is the worst kind because you know I like hippies you know I don't I don't like everything about them and I'll joke about it but I can get along with hippies ethical hippies but when, it, when somebody's an unethical hippie you know is it is there really a worse combination and that that was my co-worker and yeah he was he was a manipulative kind of a deceptive guy you know and at work and stuff like occasionally he would roll a joint actually he did this every day he did it every day. He would roll a joint before his before the lunch break, and he would smoke it. And sometimes I would go with him and smoke it with him. And I don't like to be high at work. You know, it's manageable. I don't think it... When I've done it, it doesn't really prevent me. It's not really that obvious. As long as my eyes aren't super red, it's not obvious that I'm high or anything. And it doesn't take away from my abilities to do my job. But I'm just that kind of person. I don't like to be high at work. I didn't like to be high at school back in high school. 
I know a lot of people like that. It makes the day go by or something. I just, I've never really liked that. I like to be high when I have control over my situation. But this guy, you know, he'd offer me, like, do you want to go smoke this joint on the lunch break? And I'd be like, sure. And then, he, you know, he hooked me up with his dealer and all that. But this guy, uh, he wasn't a friend of mine. So this guy thinks that I'm like, he thinks I'm somebody else. And he thinks I'm way closer to this guy. So I had to tell him on the phone. I was like, I barely know that guy. You know, I, I barely know that guy who you think I bought $3,000 worth of weed with from you and ripped you off and I could tell he didn't believe me at first but he was telling me way too much about his situation and his life and I almost didn't think it was the guy that it was because this guy was totally cool but it sounds like he's fallen on hard times and who knows what other drugs and whatever else he's gotten into but uh yeah he, he said he said he moved to Pennsylvania and he's living in a tent. And then once it was clarified, like I was like, he thinks that I'm living in the, the southern US. And I'm like, I live in Olympia. And he's like, I'm from there. And I'm like, I know. I, I, I bought weed from you when you lived there. He's like, I'm from there. What a coincidence. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, we, we know each other. We used to see each other around town and say hello. You were we were cool. And then once he finds out that I'm still living in Olympia, like it, it hit, like I, I could tell when it hit him during the call that I wasn't the guy who owed him three thousand dollars. I could tell when that hit him. But then it's like he's in his tent. Maybe he's drunk or on something. I don't know what. But then he still like wanted to talk for a minute. And I found it so confusing, you know, I was just like, this is so strange. And my friend was over, my friend who was staying with me was over. And I'm just having this bizarre conversation. And then he starts going and he's like, if you ever need mushrooms, I know the guy who has the best mushrooms. They always have the best. You, know, you go like, like, this is something that was true for like every, you know, drug dealer I've ever known. Like all these kids in school who sold weed and things like that. They always have the best. Some kid will sell you dry brown weed and pitch you a line about how he has the best. Dude, this is the best shit, dude. I have the best... And the connection. That's something that a lot of these dealers would tell you. is that like They have the best connection. They know a guy who gets the best shit. But this guy's just telling me how he knows a guy here in Olympia who can get me the best mushrooms. Which is funny to imagine... You know, I'm not interested in getting any mushrooms, but it's funny to imagine like this guy living in a tent in Pennsylvania who thought I owed him $3,000 is now like telling me he can arrange for me to meet some random dude here in town to get mushrooms. Like if those are the mushrooms this guy's been taking, I do not want them. I do not want these. And then he, he, he was calling them like Taj Mahal, you know. I know like like psilocybin, however you say it, cabenzies, that was what we used to always get in high school, cabenzies, not always, I mean, I've done mushrooms like a dozen times probably, most of them back when I was a late teenager, but cabenzies, oh dude, I got some cabenzies, kids love to say that because, you know, you could just say, oh, I have mushrooms, I have shrooms. But kids like to be specific. They like to communicate that they know the proper name of this breed of mushroom. Which I guess is important because they impact you differently. But this guy uh, on the phone, he started telling me like, oh, they're Taj Mahal. I got some Taj Mahal. This guy will get you some Taj Mahal. He, he grows mushrooms to get you some Taj Mahal. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to get off the line with him. He's in a tent in Pennsylvania trying to collect a debt. And now he's trying to hook me up with some guy in town really adamantly. And not in a way where he would profit. You know, it wasn't like, it's not like he's a partner of this guy in his mushroom operation, his Taj Mahal mushroom operation. But he's really trying to like pitch it to me now. And he wasn't like that either. Like when I bought weed from him over a decade ago, 
he was actually one of the cooler dealers I had. You know, I didn't know him for a long time, but he was one of the most chill, like didn't have any ego. He didn't think he was Tony Montana. Talked about that on here before, how kid could be like a 16-year-old selling dime bags and he acts like he's Tony Montana from Scarface. This guy didn't have any of that. He was kind of a hippie, he came from a hippie family. He was selling me weed in his mom's house. I went over to his mom's house and his, like, his brother came in with his nephew, who was a baby. And the baby walked in and just like stared at the weed. It was the weirdest thing. I was probably stoned, but if I wasn't stoned, it made me feel stoned. Where this tiny baby, like the baby barely had hair on his head. I guess what you'd, what you'd call a toddler. I think it's what they'd call a toddler, because the, the baby was walking on unsteady feet. And this guy's brother and ne baby nephew came into the house, and there was just all this weed on the coffee table. He was weighing out an ounce for me. And the baby walked in, looked at the weed, and then just stared at it, like, like stopped. Like the baby was excited, like going to grandma's house, going to the house where his, uh, his grandma and uncle live. But the baby walks in the house and just immediately sees the weed and freezes and just stares at it. And that made me think, I was like, maybe there is something to, to weed. Like maybe there, maybe weed gives off a weird energy. Cause like, I feel like this baby could just as well have stared at anything in the house. Like everything must look like a weird object to a baby that age. But the baby saw the weed and was just like taken aback. Eyes got huge and just stared at it. And, uh, but anyway, the, the guy who was selling it to me, he, one, like I said, one of the cooler dealers I had, like just no ego, didn't play any games. Cause a lot of them play games. They used to, but now he's, he's, this guy's fallen and I almost didn't believe it was him. I actually looked him up on Facebook just to see if, if he's living in Pennsylvania now. And sure enough, he is. So it's, it was that guy. But I was like, this guy's falling on rough times. But then trying to sell me, hook me up with his Taj Mahal mushroom dealer. Just wild. Hope he, hope he manages to collect that like five-year-old hippie debt. Because that's a weird thing about it too, you know. I'm very interested in the mafia, obviously. I, I bring it up a lot. Debts are a big part of that. Everyone owes debts, and they collect debts. And when the mafia is trying to collect a debt, it's serious business. It's weird to imagine hippie drug dealers owing each other money and trying to collect it. I guess they're just people. But uh, trying to collect... You know, I could see if like it was a year. But like almost six years, this guy has been owed $3,000, and he just now remembers it when he's living in a tent in Pennsylvania. Just wild. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm doing another round of eBaying. I mean, I'm, I'm always doing it, but I had a, a, I marathoned it, got some things listed. It's weird though, you know, there's, there's worlds within worlds. And you know, some of the things I'm interested in are probably things that seem like, there's something that if, if you don't know about it, you'd never think that it goes that far. You'd never think there's that much to it. But everything is that way. There's always some sort of... There, there are so many like hyper-specific things that people are obsessed with, and unless you're obsessed with it, you don't even know it exists, let alone there are so many dimensions to it. Like I, I would say like some of the music and things that I've been into throughout my life are kind of like that. Like I'll think about what my dad thinks I'm into or something. You know, my mom kind of, like, you know, I grew up with my mom and was very close to my mom, like, a, a regular part of my life until she died. So while she didn't necessarily know or, or care about all of my interests, like, she, she kind of had an idea. But when I think about my dad, you know, who, like, certain interests of mine he knows about, but it's like when it comes to things like relating to art or music, like, he probably has no clue, like, that even he doesn't even know the beginning of that stuff because you know why would you 
You know, how would you? Why would you? And doing eBay, you know, I've been doing a lot of eBaying, trying to sell my mom's old stuff, stuff that she had stored. And I'm, I'm just, I discover that constantly with this stuff. Like, even if it's worthless, it's still kind of like a deep worthlessness, if that makes sense, where it's like, oh yeah, like there, there is a whole uh, culture around this, a whole subculture. And a recent example of this is I found these little figurines in a box, just a couple of them. And it's really, it's actually fun. I, I like riddles. I like solving puzzles. And doing eBang involves that, you know, like you'll find some little uh, toy or figurine or doll. And a friend of mine was like, well, look at the back of the neck of the doll and you'll see like who made it. And of course, there are like these insane doll collectors that are hyper specific from different eras made by this guy, but not a not a reproduction. It's this. I mean, of course, that's what collect collectability is. That's what it's based on is those sorts of details. But you just wouldn't think about it unless it's right there in front of you and you're trying to figure it out. So that involves doing things like typing in just like a, a bare bones description of this figurine. Like if it doesn't have anything on it, if it doesn't have a you know, manufacturer or a signature. Because some of these dolls and things, they'll actually have somebody's signature etched into the back. Like there's a designer who worked for this doll manufacturer. And that designer is somebody that people care about, that collectors care about. But I found these little figurines that were mice, like little like anthropomorphic mice in clothing, doing human things from decades ago. And I found two of them and they didn't have any information on them. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to type in just exactly what this is. And sure enough, the internet being what it is, a lot of times you find something. And I, I was able to find, there's like a series of vintage mice figurines, miniature mice figurines doing things. That's always popular, you know, mice wearing human clothing doing things. I feel like there was a lot more of that when I was growing up. But it turns out there's this like ultra collectible figurine line. And this one looked exactly like all of these. One of them, like there were two figurines. I know this is interesting. But there were two figurines. One of them was definitely from this line, but it was broken. And people will pay hundreds of dollars for these things. They're like an inch high, two inches high. And housewives and collectors will pay hundreds of dollars for these things. And so I kind of got my hopes up. I was like, shit, I, I'm sitting on gold here. These little tiny figurines might be worth $150, $200. And I couldn't find the exact one that I was looking up. And so I listed it on eBay. And, you know, and I, and I said, it appears to be from this line. I kind of started, by the time I listed it, I kind of started to doubt myself. I was like, the fact that I can't find another version of it online... And this thing is so collectible and there are like databases of all the different variations and figures. The fact that I'm not finding it and the fact that it doesn't have any information on it is kind of telling me it might not be it. But it looks exactly like these other mice that are ultra collectible. So I listed on eBay and I was just kind of like, hey, this this appears to be from this, this line of mice figurines. I get like, like three messages overnight. All, like, obviously women. They're like, this is not that. This is a bootleg from China. This is a bootleg from Taiwan. I'm really glad to know that. Even though it was a little disappointing, because I was like, oh, yeah, this isn't worth a ton. I'm glad. I, I really appreciate that. But, like, a couple of the women, they seemed almost offended that I was trying to pass it off as that. But I truly didn't know better, because how do you? Like, you find something in your house, you know, you could spend five hours trying to look this up, and you don't. You don't find anything. But they were, like, they were adamant. And there was a part of me that almost wanted to keep it up as is. There was a part of me, that, that greedy part of me, that almost wanted to uh, try to pass it off as the real thing. Because I didn't, it's not that I was like, it's, it's not that I was lying. Because when I listed it, I was truly ignorant. But a part of me was like, well, it's already listed. I don't know. 
But then I realized, no, I'm going to be getting messages all week from irate housewives who are like, this is not the real thing. And like one of the women, the first one who messaged me right when I put it up, because these people watch this stuff, they follow this stuff, they have like keyword notifications if like something from this line pops up on eBay. And the first woman who messaged me was like, this is a bootleg from China. And a part of me was like, I got to make sure that this isn't somebody who's like trying to get me to lower the price so she can get a deal on it. But I looked up her eBay history and she's spent like hundreds of dollars on these things. And I'm like, okay, I trust her now. And then sure enough, like another message comes in and then another one. And I was like, I got to change it. And the truth is, I, you know, even if I wanted to trick people, these people aren't going to be tricked. They know what they're looking for. It's how I feel about music and things. Like, I know what I'm looking at. Like, if something's a reissue of an old record, I'm going to know that. Somebody else might not, but I'm going to know that. If something's a reproduction of something that I care about, I'm going to know that. Or if something's a bootleg, there's a really strong chance I'm going to know. So, there was no getting, by, getting one past these people. But it's funny, too, because there was another situation a few weeks ago where a friend of mine helped her neighbor move out, and he left behind all this cool stuff. A lot of it was kind of junky. Like, he left behind a bunch of stuff in his garage that was kind of junky, but old. And one of the things was a an air pistol, like a pump air pistol pellet gun or something I don't, I don't really know the specifics of those things it wasn't a dangerous firearm but it was an air pistol those can be dangerous too but uh you know she gave that to me and i decided to sell it it was definitely an antique but i looked it up and these things sometimes go for over a hundred dollars and so i was excited i was like wow this is unexpected this this guy left this behind it's a piece of old junk to him turns out and even very beat up because i looked it up again it's that rabbit hole it's the worlds within worlds where this is a highly collectible antique bb gun manufacturer air pistol manufacturer and it didn't have any other information on the gun though and i found a bunch that were identical to it in appearance and I was like, well, that looks exactly like this gun. And mine's actually in better condition. I ended up selling it for like 130 bucks. Crazy. Crazy, man. And a guy, it's, it's one of those things, though, where I don't, I don't get a lot of messages on eBay when I'm selling things. But things like that, you inevitably do. Like some guy messaged me, he's like, well, which version is this? As if I know. You know, as if I know. It, it, all I know is the manufacturer... All I know is that I found pictures of other ones that look identical in every way. And mine's actually in better condition. But some guy wants to know all these specifics that I can't answer. It's not like I deal in these things. It's not like I have a collection of these things that I actively sell or anything like that. This is just something that fell into my hands and ended up being worth money. But he was pretty cool, but like him and this other guy had a bidding war for it, and it went for like 130 which was amazing. Dude paid me, the guy won, paid me right away, another guy won. Really getting in deep with my eBay life here, but uh, my, my eBay life. But, uh, you know, I shipped it to him, and then like, you know, a few days later, it got to the guy, and he's like, you said this was the, uh, the point whatever millimeter. You, 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 your listing said this took like this millimeter. This is another version that takes a, you know, a, a 22 millimeter. And, you know, my philosophy on that stuff is in almost all cases to like accommodate people. I didn't used to always think that way. Like I, I used to think more like if somebody has a problem with it, it's like, well, how am I supposed to know? I'm not going to give you a refund. You know, like, you you knew what you were getting. In this case, though, it was like the guy... I, I listed it under a different caliber because I had no way of knowing. It's not like I have the ammunition. It's not like I have that sitting around and can test it. And I'm not a gun guy, so I don't, I don't know. I can't do it by sight. 
but he, he was he was like you you sold me the wrong one and i was like oh cool Just, i'm happy to refund you because i don't I, I said i don't know anything about these it looked identical to the other ones and i was like i'm, I, I'm more than if you want to ship it back i'm more than happy to refund you but he was like no i'll keep it your gain my loss I'll still leave you positive feedback. Okay. You know, it worked out. Like, I I got to keep the money, and he just kept it. He can add it to his collection, I guess. His message was really funny, though, because it's like, one, it was like, this is coming from a person who's obviously very interested in this line of antique BB guns. Like, he's in a world within a world that I didn't even know existed. And he's disappointed because, like, it turns out it was a different caliber than the one he wanted. Like, maybe a slightly different model. And, uh... What was weird about his message, though, and I'm happy, like, it worked out. He left me positive feedback. Like, he didn't, he didn't want a refund. I'm sad he was disappointed. But, uh... What was so funny about his message, though, was, like, my loss, your gain. Like, there was a barb on that. That was a barbed comment. But yet he, you know, he did the right thing, I guess. You know, he, he just, he accepted it. He accepted what he got. Left me positive feedback. And his feedback just said, good. I don't check my eBay feedback. Like, if, it, if I get positive feedback, that's wonderful. I don't check it. But I just wanted to, like, see what he said based on the interaction. He just said, lowercase, no punctuation, Good. So, you know, props to him for handling it well. But, but I thought about his comment to me for like a whole day. I was like, my loss, your gain. A little bit of a barb on that, but he's disappointed. But, you know, think about greed. You know, because, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a that greedy of a person. But I'm very well aware these days when I feel myself being greedy. And it doesn't make me feel good. Like, a good example of that, I think I was talking about that on here. Yeah, you know, when I was talking a bunch about eBay on here, I was talking about selling that rubber gorilla, the infamous vintage rubber gorilla that was sitting in the bottom of a bin in my family for 30 years. It wasn't even a toy that I liked playing with very much. It was just this rubber gorilla with a big mouth made in Hong Kong. I thought it was worthless. When I was going through stuff to sell, I was like, this is worthless. But you never know. Like Things that you think are going to be worth a lot. Like the things that you grew up being told, this is ultra collectible. You're going to be able to sell this for a billion, billion dollars in 20 years. Baseball cards. Collectible toys. Things like that. A lot of those things have ended up being completely worthless. Not even worth the effort to try and sell them. But then that rubber gorilla that you thought was junk your entire life wasn't even one of the toys you played with. Turns out it's you know goes for like eighty bucks. But I mentioned it on here like when I sold it because like I sold it for sixty seven, and I felt because I knew that it normally sells for eighty, I felt deprived of that extra thirteen dollars, which isn't nothing. You know, I mean. It's more than minimum, like an hour of minimum wage work in a lot of places. $13 is, uh, I respect $13, you know. But still, like six, you made $67 on a rubber gorilla that you thought wasn't even worth a penny. But the greed kicked in. Because I knew that you could potentially get $80 for this rubber gorilla, and I got $67, I felt deprived. And I felt that a few other times. A good example of that with eBay is buy it now. Well, like sometimes I'll just throw something up and I'll put a buy it now price because I'm like, I'll, when I put it up, I'm like, you know what? I don't know what this is worth. I don't know what I'll get, but I'd like to get rid of it and I'd be happy to get this amount. But then sometimes I'll put that up and someone buys it instantly. And I think, I could have gotten more. And I hate that feeling, but it's difficult to not feel that way. It's that wanting more. Where you got more than you had to begin with. It worked out in your favor. And it's with eBay and stuff like that, it, it's a tricky 
It's happened on Discogs too, where I'll put something up, someone immediately buys it. And I think, oh, I could have asked for an extra $10. But uh, but then it, it's it's a tricky situation because if you would charge an extra ten dollars, that thing might be sitting there for months. It might not sell at all. So there's this kind of sweet spot with everything. There's a sweet spot with everything you sell, where it's like you want it to be a price that's going to attract people sooner rather than later. But if people are into it too soon, the greed kicks in and you're like, I could have gotten more. And it takes away a good feeling. You know, because the greed actually hurts you. You know, your greed is actually damaging to you. Because that person who, you know, oh, I, I put this thing up for 20 bucks and someone bought it right away. They were happy to get it. They paid you. They're going to get it in the mail. They're going to be happy. They got the thing they wanted. They don't know that you're feeling this sense of greed that you, you could have gotten more. Greed hurts you. Because here I am like excited that I sold something. But then there's this, the other shoe drops a second later where it's like, oh shit, I could have gotten another five bucks. And you know what? That's how petty it is. I've actually thought that before. I've actually thought that where I thought I could have charged an extra five bucks. And it's like, again, I respect $5. I respect $5 bills. I actually really like $5 bills. There's something about a $5 bill that I just like. I guess because it's the only one of its kind. Like, I respect $1 bills, but it's a $1 bill. On its own, it's a $1 bill. You're happy if you find one. You're not going to throw it in the garbage. It's a $1 bill. But, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. Having a dollar bill is not a big deal. Five dollar bill, that feels like something, though. But what I like about it is that it's a halfway. It's five. Because after five, it goes 10, 20, 40. You know, it jumps exponentially. Not, not 40. Excuse me. There's no, there's no 40 dollar bill. It jumps up to 50, and then it jumps up to 100. But I like five because, you know, it's not a whole double-digit number. It's just five. And if you find a $5 bill, you, you feel amazing. You're like, holy shit, $5? I found a $5 bill below my feet at the grocery store one day, and I felt so good about it. I might have, you know, I, I think I even felt better than if it had been like a 20 or a 100. Because... If it's a $100 bill at your feet in the grocery store, you're like, oh shit, somebody lost something valuable to them. I, I might, the ethical thing to do might be to report this. That could have been somebody's, you know, that could have been a money that a family needed. You feel a little bit bad if you find a $100 bill in the grocery store and feel like you should put it on record with a... Uh, a $5 bill, though, it's like, yeah, that might have meant something to somebody. Somebody's life isn't going to be any better for losing $5. But their life isn't going to be substantially worse, either. Like, nobody's life is going to be over if they dropped a single $5 bill at the grocery store. So finding a $5 bill, you're like, wow, this is great. And I think, I don't know, I just like, I, there's something I like about $5 bills, but what's funny about that is just that you can be greedy even about $5. And I try to keep it in control, and I feel like I do have it under control. Like I said, I don't think I'm a particularly greedy person. But, it, you know, it, it makes me think of addiction. Because I'm the kind of person where, you know, drugs and alcohol, not so much alcohol. Like, even though I drank myself to the point where I had to quit, I never really loved alcohol or desired it that much. It was just that when I drank, I drank to excess, and I started doing that all the time, a lot. But drugs are something else. And, like, aside from weed, I've never regularly used any drugs. I've never been a hard drug user. But I do have that mindset where... Like, a friend of mine gave me, uh, like, uh, Xanax. A couple weeks ago, 
I was telling a friend I was having trouble sleeping, having pretty severe insomnia. And so this friend sent me like five Xanax hidden in a CD case. Just volunteers. Like, if you want some Xanax, I'll send you five Xanax hidden in a CD case. I was like, oh, great. But the thing was, it's like having it in my house, I didn't feel the need to take it right away, but I took one every night. Because I was like, I can't just, I'm gonna be thinking about it if it's there. Like if I have a drug like that in my house, I'm gonna be thinking about it if I'm not taking it. And I used to feel that way too, you know, back when I was growing up. Like, cause it used to be like, if you couldn't find weed, but your friend had some, you're like, oh, I wanna go to your house. You know, it's so much a friendship I've realized too. It's like having a good enough relationship with somebody to where you can use them and they can use you, but it's not in a deeply manipulative way. Losing my breath on this steep hill. But a lot of friendship to me is that. Like, obviously there's a lot of good stuff beyond that. But part of being friends with somebody is you can reciprocally use somebody sometimes and they can use you. But like the greater arc of your friendship is way beyond and better than that. And it's not like you're just going over to their house because they have weed. You love them. You like them. But I do remember that feeling growing up where I was like, losing my breath, but uh, where you go over to their house because you're like, oh, they have weed. And then you'd go over to their house and they wouldn't want to smoke right away. And you'd be kind of sitting there like waiting for them to offer. Hate that feeling. Hate that feeling where you're like, I'm just sitting here waiting. But that's how I feel when I'm alone too. Like when I'm alone and if, if I have some sort of drug, I'm just like, I'm gonna think about that little pill that's sitting on the top of that cabinet for, until I take it. And that's why I'm glad that I never got into hard drugs or anything. And when I say pill, I mean uh, like Xanax or every once in a blue moon, someone will give me an Adderall. But I think about that continuously. Like someone gave me an Adderall a couple months ago and I waited a few days to take it because I wanted to use it to get some work done. And that's the kind of drug user I am too, is I have to use it for something. Like, yeah, I can hang out and sit on the couch and smoke weed, but drugs to me have always been more about engagement. Like, you know, I'm not into opiates or anything like that. I'm into things that you can use to do other things with. Like I mentioned before, like if I'm smoking pot, I like to do it while I lift weights. I like to do it before I run. It makes me feel more connected to what I'm doing. I like to do it while I listen to music. I like to do it, you know, while I'm reading or doing this. You know, it's about engagement, not being passive. But with this Adderall, it was just like I, I was saving it for a few days until I had like, you know, a night where I could, I could uh, afford to stay up all night if that's what happened. But it was crazy because like it was just there and I would check on it. When I walked by, I'd make sure it was still there. Like a dog guarding a treat. Nobody else has been in my house, but just, just making sure it's still there. And then there's that question in your mind where you're like, should I take it now? I'm planning on doing it, you know, in a few days. But should I do it now? Should I just do it now? I want to. But fortunately, I waited. But still, it's that feeling where, like, you feel drawn to it. You feel obsessed with it almost. And, uh... I'm not that way with weed anymore. I used to be. Like if I wasn't at work when I was younger and I had weed, I'd be compelled to smoke it whenever and wherever. Not wherever, I was never a public smoker, but I'd be thinking about it. 
but it's just it's kind of like greed where it's like I have this thing and I want it now I want that or if you have a friend who gives you that kind of thing sometimes you're like well I hope they give that to me I'm not going to ask I don't like that part of my psychology and I know it's very common though you know it's almost like somebody is baking cookies and you're thinking I sure hope they give me one and chances are they will but there's that part of your mind that's like I really want it and animals do that too you know my dog does that speaking of which you know I, I need to get back home I'm actually I'm babysitting my friend's deaf dog so she's not gonna have any problems with these fireworks that are going off she's totally deaf 100% deaf really sweet angel of a dog miracle dog but she uh, she's not gonna be reacting in all these fireworks but Batty's got big sensitive ears and it's getting dark and people are starting them starting up the booms so uh, I gotta get back there Batty's probably losing it but yeah anyway just some random thoughts from the last week just gonna send out a, a happy 4th of July here let the booms commence because they'll soon drown me out